Hey, you here? If so, just know this. We think your presence here is one of the best gifts you could give. We don't take you being here for granted here on the Paul Leslie Hour. We have an interview today with the uber-talented Will Kimbrough that went out on the radio airwaves years ago. The interview was recorded November 18, 2006 at the famed live music venue Eddie's Attic in Decatur, Georgia. Now, Will Kimbrough is an artist very worthy of your ear. He's one of those all-arounder musical artists. He's got a commanding voice, but he also is a gifted songwriter. As a guitarist, he's greatly respected, but he's highly regarded as a record producer as well. You'll want to delve into his records, believe me. You listen to Will Kimbrough and you immediately think, Hey, I need to listen to more of this guy. It was just the first few years of Paul's broadcasting career. (laughs) Boy, did he sound a bit like a rookie. But you'll notice that Will Kimbrough gives a lot of great, interesting details. You can tell he's happy to share. You'll hear they talked about Americana music, Will's Mobile, Alabama origins, along with musical influences. Will Kimbrough also talks about his song, Piece of Work, which Jimmy Buffett recorded. And just as a heads up, Will Kimbrough co-wrote the song, Bubbles Up, which appear on the Jimmy Buffett album, Equal Strain on All Parts. The posthumous album will be released on Mailboat Records. Release date, November 3rd, 2023. You can listen to Will talking about that song and more on episode number 15 of the Will Kimbrough Super Service Podcast. Check it out. Now, before we get started here, why not consider giving to yourself and to others the gift of stories? You can do so by going to www.thepaulleslie.com slash support. Paul has a lot of great interviews in store for you. So be one of the folks who keep this show going. Or maybe, maybe you'll just like to buy Paul a coffee, huh? (laughs) Okay, this recording needs to be out there. You ready? Will Kimbrough talking to Paul Leslie. Let it roll. Today's guest is Mr. Will Kimbrough. He's down here at one of my favorite Atlanta venues, or Decatur, I should say, Eddie's Attic. Been a lot of great shows here. So he's coming down here from Nashville, so I'd like to welcome Will to the program. Thanks, Paul. It's good to be here. So you have a new album out called American Idol. There's not many people nowadays that get labeled with the Americana label. And when you look at some of the people that are labeled as Americana, it's kind of a, I'm sure, a badge of, of, uh, <laughs> to be proud of. You know, when I think of Americana, I kind of think of like Jerry Jeff Walker, that kind of thing. But when people say that they don't, or when people who have not heard your music, when they ask you, what is it that you sound like? What would you describe your sound as? I would describe it as what I'm going for. Well, what what comes out of me is sort of a cross between somebody who's listened to too many Beatles records and too many Hank Williams records and too many Johnny Cash records and too many replacements records all rolled into one. And um and I'd also like to say that, you know, for, for guys like me and um my friend Tommy Womack's here with me tonight, we both work in the Americana format, um, which really 
these days is, is more, more or less sort of just a radio format, you know, because it encompasses so much stuff, you know, that encompasses real records that could, to me are rock and roll records and records that to me are country records and records that to me are blues records, gospel records and folk records and bluegrass records. So I'm, I welcome that um, group of music that comes together. Uh, I, I played the Americana Music Association's awards show this year and Elvis Costello was on there. Alan Toussaint was on there. Um, Marty Stewart was on there. Rodney Crowell was on there. Um, God by Truckers were on there. Uh, James McMurtry was on there. Um, and I played on there a few years ago with Mavis Staples. So it's sort of a, that's a pretty good cross section of American music. There's a lot more to be included in there too. But, um, so it's, yeah, it's a cool thing to be part of. I mean, it's funny because I just got, I just, I go over to England every couple of times a year and play in Ireland and Europe. And, um, I just had somebody in England tell me, that something about the they called it the americana ghetto talking about i guess being pigeonholed and not being able to get out of it but i think that i think artists that transcend genres and and you know go on to bigger things are just going to do it anyway now you know you don't know if it's going to be you if it's going to be your friend or you know like look at lucinda williams she was like the best new artist of 1998 or whatever well she had been making records for 20 years at that point (laughs) <laughs> literally you know since it's the 70s so that's the way the that's the way show business is it's interesting it's not that interesting when you're in it and you, and it's not going well for you but it's interesting when you're looking at it as a fan it's never boring if you really want to dig into music and you can dig into music now more than you used to ever could and you come from or, or you uh you lived originally in alabama yeah i'm from mobile alabama were you born there i was you were yeah Kimbro is an interesting last name, and I was curious, what what kind of uh, nationality is that? Well, pretty sure that uh, it's from the British Isles somewhere, or Ireland. Uh, I mean, it's not an Irish name, but it's from the British Isles somewhere, although there aren't any Kimbros there anymore. There aren't any, there's no Kimbros in England or Scotland or Wales. So it may be a, a name that was pronounced a certain way, and just that spelling came when people came to America, or maybe all the Kimbros left, maybe they all died off that were left. But it's a, it's a, some roots and um i have a lot of scottish roots but not from the kimbrough name but my mom's a Lindsay. there's gilmers and you know Lindsay's and hardy's and gilmers which are all from scotland so most of my dna is scottish and wherever it came from before that <laughs> so growing up what what kind of music did you listen to i listened to um as a kid i mean i just listened to the radio and i was lucky in the 70s am radio and top 40 radio was you know, you'd hear the OJs and you'd hear the Eagles and you'd hear Ted Nugent and Kiss and Aerosmith. And then you'd hear Charlie Rich and um, it's pretty good variety of stuff that really, in fact, it was almost like a uh, could be a what Americana is now. This mishmash of soul music and rock and roll music and redneck music. You know, you had uh, an album that was on John Prine's label mm-hmm. and, you know, with John Prine, the first word that I would think of with him was that kind of folk. And just listening to some of your music, some of it seems to have some of the folk flavor in there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I and you know, I have to say this: when I was thirteen, I, I I saw John Prine, I saw Kiss, I saw Bad Company, I saw Eric Clapton, I saw Charlie Daniels, all in about a two month period. My parents were taking me to concerts and letting, so so that music is all in there, you know. And Prine is a big part of it. Prine, I would I would listen to 
Prine's Bruised Orange album, and I would listen to Kiss Alive in the same sitting when I was a kid. So you sound like me. Yeah, I mean, it comes. You know, it's like you love music, and you don't say. Nobody ever told me that it was um, wrong. That there was anything wrong with both kinds of music. You know, really ridiculous kind of party rock and roll, and then really great kind of folk music. You know, to me, it was just all good. You know, in my mind. So. So, yeah, it's come from a real mixed up place of just loving music, loving too many kinds of music at once. When did you uh, get the idea that this was what you wanted to do for a living, that this was going to be your life form, you know? Real early. Um, on my 12th birthday, I got, a, I got a cheap guitar and I got a cheap ticket to see Bruce Springsteen. 1976, it's $4.50 see Springsteen at a theater, a thousand seat theater in Mobile. And um, I think, are we on? Okay. All right. Um, the, uh, and I, at that point I really did sort of dedicate myself. I mean, it was the day I got my first guitar, but I really did start dedicating myself and formed a band and, and I've never stopped ever since. So, um, it was one of those kind of, I was lucky to know what I wanted to do when I was 12 on my birthday, you know, so hours away from being 11. <laughs> and, um, okay. All right. Hey, I should go check real quick. Besides your songwriting, you also have been playing guitar with Rodney Crow. Yeah. An opening for Rodney Crow. So how did you connect with Rodney Crow? Well, I live in Nashville and you just meet different people along the way. In a lot of the ways you get those. The way I got it was through a friend who I'd gotten work for and Rodney needed a guitar player and my friend suggested me and Rodney came over to my house and we played through some songs and he gave me, you know, he said, well, come on out, let's do some shows. And it's, Five years later, I'm still doing it. And he's been real supportive of my music by letting me open shows and, you know, helping me out a lot. Been very supportive. Nashville seems like a place that if you're into music and you, you know, you're, you're making, you're making it, it seems like a place where there's lots of opportunities. Yeah, there is. I mean, you know, I've, I've, I live there and I've gotten to do, um, I've gotten to play with people like Rodney and, Guy Clark and Billy Joe Shaver, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I've gotten to produce records. I've gotten to play on, play in studio on, on, on albums and CDs and make my own albums and CDs, write songs for other people. And, um, Nashville's kind of the main place where for me to do that. Right. And the, the pool of, pool of talent there that moves there from all over the world is pretty vast as far as like the players and the community of people who, you know, and there's many sides to Nashville. You know, we all know they, the real commercial countryside is there, and um, they do their thing, and you know we do ours. And every once in a while, they pick up on some of our stuff, and we get a little payday, and we go on about our day. You know, one of the albums that you produce, I've been uh, wearing it out, and it's the Adrian Young. I saw her play in Athens, and I was really just taken by her sound. She's she's great. So. uh Tell me about some of some of the work you did with her and how you how you found her. We met um, in East Nashville at a club at a, at a show, and she said, "Would you like to write with me?" And I said, "Sure." So we wrote a song called "Home Remedy," and that was the first song we ever wrote. And we wrote a few more, and then she was asked me to produce her record, and I said, "Sure." And she never called me about it, never arranged a time schedule, and then one day she called me and said. I need help with my record. I started recording it, but I need help. I need you to help me. You know, and I said, okay, okay. When, when you want me to come in? She's like, tomorrow. And I was, luckily I was able to come in the next day 
on a spree. And I went in and, and we made that album called Plow to the End of the Row. Um, and a little while later after that, we made a record with her called The Art of Virtue. And, um, and we are working on one right now, which is tentatively titled Room to Grow. And, um, it's really good. So, um, she's just a real passionate person and she's a really good songwriter and, and she's just, uh, you know, she's vibrant, energetic, talented person who has a lot of drive and a lot of soul. A lot of good things to say. One of your songs was uh, cover was recently. Well, you had a couple co-writes recently with with uh, Buffett mm-hmm. on his recent album. But before that, when he did the country feel album, he covered your song "Piece of Work." The best version I ever heard of that. He was in Key West playing on the beach, and he played it with Mac Mac and Alley, and it was a really cool version of the song. You know. So tell me about that song, how you got inspired to write that. I always, I always think about that song as like a song that someone is saying to themselves almost. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that song actually was written in a hospital room in Nashville. My youngest daughter was, um, had to stay in the hospital a few days after she was born. And, um, then the, the night before she came home, we all, I took my oldest daughter and my wife and I all went and spent the night and, and, and they were going to weigh her the next morning and make sure she was a certain weight and could go home. And, um, so it was a big night for us. You know, we had high hope, but so my wife and my daughter fell asleep and my youngest infant daughter fell asleep. And then I was just alone in the room awake with all these weird electronic noises that are in hospitals, buzzers and beepers and heart monitors. And there's never, you know, Hospitals never stop, you know, there's 24 hours a day. Somebody's running around down the hall. There's noises. And I couldn't sleep. And that song just started playing in my head, really. I started playing with words um, and doing a little word game with myself. And next thing I knew, I had about half of it going in my head, and I figured I better write it down. So I went in the bathroom uh, of the of the hospital room, and I wrote down what I had. And then I just for good measure, just went on and wrote some more stuff. And I think a couple of days later, I wrote another part. And then um, a few weeks later, I, I got my notebook out and looked at it. And there it was. And I was pieced it together. It happened really quickly over a two or three week period of time, little pieces of, of time. It probably took me an hour to write the whole song. So it was, yeah, I was definitely inspired, but I don't know what from just, uh, it just really came out of not being able to sleep, you know, and, and playing with words. And the thing that's kind of interesting is uh, Buffett having lived in Mobile. I'm sure you kind of have some a couple of things in common with him. But uh, how did he discover you? I met uh, Jimmy through Todd Snyder. I was playing guitar for Todd Snyder in the mid-'90s, and we played at Tipitina's in New Orleans. And Jimmy, you know, anybody knows anything about Buffett knows he loved New Orleans. And I uh, spent a lot of time there playing when he was younger. He came to the show, and we were on – Todd was on Jimmy Buffett's label at the time, Margarita Bill Records. And uh, Jimmy came to the show uh, backstage. The Tipitina's was this small, stinky dressing room, and it was crammed full of people because Jimmy was back there and the whole entourage and things were back there. And um, and we got sort of pushed up together against a wall. And I said, hey, Jimmy, I'm Will. I'm from Mobile. And so we started talking about being from the Gulf Coast. And we sort of called each other escapees from Mobile. You know, I mean, I love Mobile, but it's not necessarily a place to do music for your whole life. To have a career in music, there's no, there's no way to do it really, uh, for me at least. Um, and then a couple of years later, I had sent him, sent him my albums as they came out and 
um, he asked his niece, who's a friend of mine, whatever happened to that guy from Mobile? And she said, well, he's still doing music, you know, and still making records. And so she called me and said, I know you've sent him all your albums, but send it, send it again, you know, send a package, FedEx it. Says my dad, if my, not my dad, my uncle, my uncle is interested in what you're doing. Something might come out of it. And so, uh, he, next thing you know, I've, like, when you come down to Key West in January and record and we're going to cut this song, a piece of work. And, uh, and now uh, the band Little Feet, Mac McAnally's producing Little Feet, and they've recorded a song of mine called The Champion of the World. And um, the record's not out yet, but I've, from what I understand, it's still on there. So we'll see when it comes out if it's still on there. But that would be an honor, too. So, And I think Jimmy sings part of it, you know, so I could do that. So it's cool. Very cool. So I met Jimmy, and he took a liking to me and took a liking to my music and cuts, cut, cut some songs. We went down last year and wrote some songs and recorded them. It's good. You mentioned Todd Snyder. And uh, there's a few of your songs that are kind of in common with his. I mean, a little bit of his sound is kind of, you guys are kind of similar in some ways. Um, who out there, as far as the youngster, would you have to give the nod to and say, you know, that guy, he's, re- he's really doing well. Or, you know, you respect him, in other words. There's a lot of people I respect, and I'm trying to think of who they are. Of the young, I like, I like. I like Hayes Carl. I don't know how much younger he is than me. Todd and I are basically we're in our forties now, you know. So he's not a youngster. Um, I think Hayes Carl's good. Um, I admire Ryan, Ryan Adams, but I don't know if he's, you know, if, if he should do a little, you know, maybe he shouldn't put out three albums a year, you know. I don't know, um, but I admire what he's trying to do, and I appreciate a lot of his stuff. I don't know. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm an older guy and I, and I really keep going back to the masters, you know, I keep going back to, to the old, old, old time blues guys and from the twenties and thirties, um, to the old Memphis music, Stax music, um, to people, great people like JJ Kale and Tony Joe White. And of course, um, I like, I like, I think Dylan's new stuff is good. I have to listen to it and check it out because it's worth hearing what he's saying and what he's playing. And there's plenty of good new stuff. I'm just trying to think of what I listened to this record by the whole, this band called the hold steady. I thought it was pretty good. Um, but it's music is interesting. Once you start going back in time, it's hard to stay in the present because there's so much stuff that you've never heard. And somebody will turn you on that right now. I'm real into Memphis music and I'm just discovering all this music that I'd never heard before of all sorts, soul music, blues, rock and roll, rockabilly, you know, rock music. And, um, from the twenties to, to now, and there's so much stuff that you, know, you start, trying to find it all and some of them are hard to find you gotta mail order the cd it's kind of fun in the age of the internet where you, you actually have to wait for something yeah wait wait two weeks to get your cd i like that there's a guy from memphis uh i think i i was reading the cory brandon was it no uh keith sykes keith sykes well i'll tell you this cory brandon's good he may be like 30 now so you call him a kid either but he's good it's a b-r-a-n-a-n I'll have to check him and out. And he's really good. He, he reminds me, he has his own thing, but he reminds me a little bit of what the humor that that Todd has. But Corey's good. He's really good. Got his own thing. Keith Sykes. Yeah, Keith Sykes is great. You've met Keith Sykes? Mm-hmm. Many times. Worked in the studio and I know Keith pretty well. Keith's great. The reason I was mentioning Keith Sykes is I kind of think that, that uh, you guys, meaning, uh, uh, there's a few artists I think that have a common thread running in them. And this is just as a listener. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm way off. But I've noticed Todd Snyder, you and Keith Syke, uh I've been listening to a lot of that kind of music lately. And there's a, a kind of almost like 
homegrown kind of feel to it, if that makes sense. Well, I think it's, we're all coming from, I mean, you know, I saw, when I saw John Prine when I was 13, Keith Sykes opened for him. And John Prine has since, you know, done Keith Sykes songs. They've written songs together. Um, Keith Sykes wrote songs for Buffett. Keith Sykes wrote songs with Buffett. Keith Sykes is friends with Jerry Jeff Walker. Keith Sykes written songs. Jerry Jeff Walker's done his songs. Todd Snyder got signed to his first publishing deal by Keith Sykes. There's a, not only a musical thread, but a serious, like, professional and personal thread. Sure. Keith Sykes is a real connection to a lot of things. And Keith goes back to the early 60s. He was on Vanguard Records, which was the folk label that had Joan Baez and other, other great folk artists. He made a couple of, al- of albums when he was probably 18, 19 years old that were getting him some real recognition in the era of early Bob Dylan, you know, in the early 60s. And then he... um you know, left and went back to Memphis, you know, did what he did. But so he goes, he's a connection. He's a, he keeps a real connection. He keeps a real underappreciated and underrated artist. True. Um, he has, he, and partly due to his own fault, you know, I mean, as much as I love and admire him, he, you know, he could make more albums, but he's only made, done what he's done, which is great. Um, um, and I, I, you know, Someday somebody ought to write a book about, about Keith and connect him to all the things he's connected to. Of course, when you write about, I just, I'm reading a book called It Came From Memphis, which is a great Memphis music book. And it does tie in so many things that it's almost mind boggling. Cause it, and it's, and, and Memphis is a good thing to talk about here because that's a real homegrown type place. When you think of that music, it's very homegrown. It's very, almost exists outside of the music industry, except for, for a certain period, like in the sixties, Otis Redding and music like that, Brooke yeah. DMEMGs, they were on top of the charts. You know, they were, they were, they were number one, you know, for and Elvis, of course, you know. Yeah. Um, so, but there's a very homegrown quality, but the music place like Elvis came out of was Sun Records, which was a homemade studio and Stax Records was an independent label run by some people. And, you know, so I definitely admire that homegrown aspect. And I think that their music probably reflects it. You know. <laughs> I'm glad you asked that question. Yeah. <laughs> There was a something I wanted to add, kind of a philosophical question. What is it? And I'm I'm saying asking us because it's funny because someone can write a song and they intend a certain message. Like for example, it was a Michael McDonald song I was listening to, and I took it as kind of an inspiration, inspirational song. And I was talking to him about it. He mentioned that it was not. It was a song about loss, more or less. <laughs> but. I, I guess the reason I'm asking this is you never know what kind of message someone's going to get from one of your songs. Right. That's true. And that, well, that's what I've gotten all my life from music myself. I mean, I'm obviously a big music fan. I'm talking about all this music I'm studying up on and listening and waiting for the CDs to arrive in my mailbox. So I'm, a, I'm still as much of a fan as I ever was. So I understand that, too. And I get and you know, sometimes I just get a message from just the music itself, just from like a guitar sound or the way your horn section sounds or a drum sound, it gives me a feeling and it does send a message to me. Um, and that's what music does. So what is it that you hope people get out of your music? I hope they get, I hope they get some kind of emotional feeling. I hope they get some joy and I hope they, you know, can work through some sadness if that's what they want to do. Or I really just hope they enjoy it. If they get something else, like you said, and I agree with what you say, I think you're right on the mark that people can get different messages. Um, so I just think want people to hear it and get whatever they get out of it, really. And really just some joy, you know, because yeah, I get, I get joy out of music, even if it's sad music, but a lot of joyous music sure. as well. You know, you can sort of work through your problems through some music or help you understand your own life. Even if the writer has never have any clue, you know, they're from 
India and never been to America, you know, they can, you can hear some music and it gets you through a period of time. It's good. It's good for your soul. So my last question to you, uh, this program through the powers of technology goes out all over the world. So my question to you is what would you like to say to the world? I like to say that, uh, peace is better than war and love is better than fear. And, and live music is better than recorded music, but buy my album anyway. <laughs> well, Mr. Kimbrough, I do thank you for taking the time to speak with me. And it was a pleasure. To nice. Same here, Paul. Thank you so much. Thank you. We thank you and appreciate you dropping in for the Paul Leslie Hour today. You know, you can help the Paul Leslie Hour in our mission to provide independent media content like this by visiting www.thepaulleslie.com slash support. We truly thank you. This is your announcer speaking. Performance of the Entertainer intro song and Corina Corina outro song courtesy of John Primerano. Well, that's it for today. So until next time, be safe and be good.